This is the podcast, not an interview. This is a conversation. No gimmicks, just reasons. 84 reasons. Come holler at me. Everybody, I am being true. This is 84 Reasons. No games, no gimmicks, just reasons. Talking to former, what, present. But today, I don't like to call him a former Gator, though. I mean, this is a Gator great, what? Uh, he gains me boys, man. PK Young, been putting them out. Going all the way back, what, 91, what, 91, 92, 93, 94. Walked on. Walked on at the University of Florida. 31 career touchdowns. Now doing it in the booth. You know, coming from parties, the homie. Y'all remember Chris Dorn. I, I call him I call him CD, the great Chris Dorn. What's going on with you there, Chris? Benny, I'm doing well, man. It's good to finally catch up, brother. We've been trying to do this for a couple weeks now, I and glad we can oh, make it happen. I know. I mean, I don't even know where to start. I mean, for you, was it always Florida, though? Because people, obviously, you had to be a Gator fan. What else is going on yeah. in Gainesville? Was it always going to be Florida for you, or did you go – I hope it's Florida, but did you did you did you go on other business? Because a lot of times yeah. you look at the end game, but recruiting was crazy even back then. Yeah, well, there was no recruiting going on with me, man. So that that was uh, something I I only dreamt of. And uh, growing up in Gainesville, you're right, man. Everything around here is is so Gator centric that um, you know I fell in love with it from the time I was four or five years old. My parents both graduated from Florida. My father was a professor in the College of Pharmacy. We went to not only all the Florida football games, but basketball, baseball, gymnastics, everything uh, University of Florida sports related was was what I was consuming and uh, always dreamt of running out of that tunnel to hear come the Gators and being able to wear the orange and blue in the, in, in the swamp at the time, Florida field before the swamp was nicknamed the swamp. But, you know, when when I uh, I tell everybody I had the greatest senior year in the history of high school senior years, I was I was all state football, all state basketball, all state baseball. We won the state basketball championship. I was MVP of the state basketball tournament. And I was Sky Masterson, the lead in the uh, musical theater production of Guys and Dolls. So I got a chance to do it all, Benny. And no scholarship offers, not even from you know a musical theater school, no arts. I got nothing at all. So it actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise because uh, you know if, if I would have gotten a scholarship to one of those other schools, I probably would have taken it. And, and it never would have had the same meaning to playing for the school that I grew up loving. Uh, I was offered a, a preferred walk-on spot like I was at Florida, at uh, Florida State. Went up there and actually felt a little bit of, um, you know, rejection by the Gators for not following through in this plan that I had in my head. So I uh, I end up considering Florida State, but my, my dad and I were at a Florida Florida State baseball game at Perry Field back my senior year and, and saw him doing the tomahawk chop and doing all that stuff. I said, man, I can't be a part of that. I, I know <laughs> I know my roots and uh, ended up uh, at where I was, I was supposed to be, man. Not the not the path that I dreamt of, but uh, an even more gratifying uh, journey than I ever could have dreamed. Now, Chris, obviously everybody going to look at how we ended up and say, oh, this is a storybook ending, but you read Sherman in 91. Yeah. Exactly. You, got, you, you, became a, you, uh, you got the scholarship in 92. What, what is that like? Because, you know, everybody wants to play in Florida. I get it. But you was there as a walk-on. What is your what is that red shirt freshman year yeah. for you like knowing that look man they don't tell you they're gonna give you a scholarship until '92 comes? What was that '91 season like for you though? Well, I, I didn't actually get the scholarship until '93, so it was a it was a uh, it was kind of a progression, you know that that first year walking on and, and you know 
having played for Coach Spurrier, the coach doesn't care about whether you're a scholarship guy or a walk-on guy. He wants you to, uh, he wants to put play guys that that are uh, coachable, play the way they're coached, and and are in great condition, right? He always uses those uh, those John Woodenisms. And um, for me, I showed up. Uh, there were three scholarship receivers that were signed in my class that year: Sarola Palmer, Jack Jackson, and Ed West. And um, I was the fourth in that group, a, a preferred walk-on. Uh, I won the 12-minute run, and you remember how much Coach Berger oh loved the uh, conditioning test when you were able to to do well at that. You know, he he he, you got his respect, and so I I earned his uh, his attention and respect that way. Uh, competed with the rest of those guys. I think I showed everybody that I could play at that level. But um, I was 6'4", 175 pounds, and and needed to put some weight on, and so I, I did redshirt my uh, my redshirt freshman year in '92. I made the travel squad, so I was one of the top eight. Uh, that year and, and uh, had my first catch and a blowout loss against Tennessee up in Knoxville and uh, and then got that scholarship, that that validation that I've been looking for for a long time, Benny, uh, right before the start of my, my Richard sophomore year in 93. And that everything just kind of happened so quickly. Uh, I got that scholarship in two days. First game of the season, we're playing a home game against one of those, uh, you know, those directional schools. Uh-huh. Catch four or five passes in that one, and then the second game of the season, we go up to to Kentucky, September 11th, 1993. And uh, Coach Berger tells me before the game that I'm going to start. So here it is. All of a sudden, I I went from walk on to scholarship to starting in the SEC. Catch my first career touchdown in the in the beginning of the fourth quarter against Kentucky. And then I catch the one with three seconds left that kind of changed my life there. So everybody kind of remembers me for that touchdown. That was only my second. I had 29 more after that. But it was amazing how quickly my life changed in a matter of a few weeks. I like what you said about Coach Spurrier. Here, now to us, heart beating out your chest, hey, Chris, you starting. And, he, and for those of you who don't know, he'll just say it. He don't, he don't make it dramatic. Chris, what? You starting today. And he'll walk off. What? Yeah. It's like. I always tell people this about Coach Perry. Maybe you can validate it. His his ability to have an individual, it ain't the same, but an individual relationship with every single player. It ain't like it is with the quarterbacks. But he, I can just see him walking up to you, hey, Chris, what, you, you starting today. All right. Yeah. Like, uh, and, and when you think about it, the head coach don't supposed to tell you stars. It's supposed to be your position coach or the OC, which he is. Yeah. But you, you catch you. Two touchdowns, I went on to catch 29 more. Chris, you had a knack for getting in the end zone. Like, yes, you was a route runner. Yes, like, your height, your ability. But what was it about your game that translated so well to what Spurrier did? Because obviously, yeah. the streamers, for those of you who don't know about Spurrier, man, there are no first and ten plays. There are no second and long. No, bro, we're trying to get in the zone. Yeah. I'm going to get best matchup one-on-one. But – was it your route running ability? Was it your knack for picking up the offense? Because I remember this. You, Shane, because y'all, because Shane Matthews started all out. You talk about coming from a game was like, what, 15th? Way down the yeah. But what was it about you? 31 touchdown passes, man. That's you and Amari Cooper tied for second all time. Devonta Smith got like a gazillion of them. Yeah. But did you just have a knack for getting in the zone? Or, or was you like, look, man, I'm going to use my size and length. And yeah. EDBs, man, was it the catch rate? Well, what were you attested to? First and foremost, let's go back to what you said about Coach Spurrier. Like Coach Spurrier was not afraid. Uh, one of my one of my uh, older friends um, calls Coach Spurrier five wide, and he calls him five wide because of a game. It's third and seventeen from our three yard line my senior year against Florida State. He goes five wide. We go empty, 
and uh, we convert third and 17. I catch a cover two post over the middle of the field to move the chains. Like, he wasn't afraid, man. It was no run the ball and punt. It's, say, what do we got to do to uh, to get the first down and keep this drive alive and score a touchdown? So, you know, I, I think I fit in well into that, that uh, offense. One, I was surrounded by so many great receivers, man. You go back and think about it. Like, I, I, I got there. Alonzo Sullivan, Trey Everett were two guys that kind of took me under their wings initially. Uh, Willie Jackson, Harrison Houston, Aubrey Hill, Jack Jackson, those guys. And then, uh, you know, as, as I, my career went on, it was uh, Redell Anthony, Ike Hillier, Jacquez Green, Jeez. Travis McGriff. Like, I, I, I was just part of so many great receivers. And I, you know how it is in the NFL. Five wide receivers usually make the team. My, our wide receiving cores at Florida were better than the majority of the ones that uh, I played on in the NFL. So I was fortunate to to be surrounded by so many talented guys that drew the attention of opposing defenses. But you know, my, my senior year, I caught 17 touchdowns and uh, was named second team All-American and, and first team All-SEC. And, and uh, one of the media people asked Coach Spurrier, like, wow, man, how, how, Chris had an uh, amazing year, caught 17 touchdowns. And man, how was he able to do that? He goes, you know, you know, I was calling the plays, right? And so a lot of it had to do with Coach trusting me in that part of the field. He was the guy that, um, you know, knew that I was dependable down in, in that area and that, uh, you know, the height, the catch radius, all of those things. I think a lot of it had to do, too, Benny, with uh, the rapport that I have with Danny Warfel. I mean, Danny and I were great friends. You, you remember the old Monday night football scrimmages yes, that the young guys yes. would have after practice on Mondays during the season. The guys that didn't play much would get an opportunity to scrimmage. And Danny and I kind of came out together in those scrimmages. Uh, made our mark that 93 year. He was a freshman. I was a, a sophomore and uh, just kind of progressed together. He and I lived together on the road when we roomed uh, night four games. And we'd always go over all the the plays and what we were thinking one another and, and just really felt like we had a, a great connection there. So I think that that benefited us, uh, particularly down in the red zone, too. You're talking about trust, which is the hardest thing I had to learn as a player. Like, yeah, you talented. Yeah, you gifted. But if but if the head man don't trust you. You're not going to play. It took me yeah. a long time to understand that because what happens is everybody's good from where they're coming from. You talked about trust real early. You you had to build a trust of Coach Furrier, the trust with Danny, you know, Shane, whoever you had. Was that something you always knew, though? Because the ability aside, they have to trust. Third, it's third and three coming out, third and 17, five wide. Yeah. Like, Coach Furry, like, look, bro, I can live with it because he goes, I got five of the best players on the field. I, I'm going to trust that somebody's going to win. Like, one of yeah. these five up, one, but you talked about the trust aspect of it. Was that you're something right. you always understood? Well, you're right. First and foremost, the trust aspect is always big in any team sport, but more so in Coach Spurrier's offense. And, and you remember, like, we would run routes on air for for hours and hours and hours of practices. You know, it wasn't about beating anybody on the defense specifically. It was the quarterback taking his three, five, seven step drops. It was the receivers taking their exact steps, getting in and out of their breaks at the exact part of the field they're supposed to be in. Quarterbacks trusting the receivers that they're not only going to read the right coverages, but be in the right place at the right time. Uh, Coach Spurrier calling the plays, trusting his quarterbacks that they're going to make the right reads. Like, it, there's just so much that went into everybody being on the same page. And I just think we had such a great uh, rapport, knowledge of the game, the way that we were taught by Coach Dixon and, and Coach Spurrier uh, helped make us prepared for everything that we saw on game days. You know, game days were easy, man. Saturdays were easy 
because of what we did during the week. And I, I just think that um, that trust aspect is, is so huge. And I, I remember, you know, that, that feeling even today, I was with coach Spurrier today and outside of my parents, I don't know if there's anybody in my life that I've ever wanted to please more than coach Spurrier, you know, getting his approval. Yes. Uh, you talked about how different guys on the team had different relationships. My, my day, and this happened at Florida. This happened in the NFL when I played for him in Washington. Danny Warfel and I would be in the in the room together in the uh, dorms during camp thinking about, like, I can't believe we're grown-ass men and we're still <laughs> here living and dying by what he thinks about us. Like, yes, I, yes. I, 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 I still to this day want to make sure that uh, I'm doing everything to to make him happy, that I'm going to uh, get praise from him. And I'm I'm the oldest child. I don't know about you, Benny, but the, the oldest child always wants to please, always wants to get the praise. And I think that's one of the hardest things about not playing football anymore. Because you remember, man, as soon as, as, as in the NFL, you get done with practice, you're coming in watching the tape. You're getting that feedback immediately. You're getting that praise you need. You watch the game tape on, on Sunday or Monday, and you're getting that feedback. Like You don't have that much in life. And I think that uh, needing that praise and approval, particularly from Coach Spurrier, was always something huge for me. Yeah, yeah, but, but but you tell what you're doing now, CD is this is vulnerability side of us as, as former players, right? Like the ego and pride is what pushes us through the game, hey, man. I can't yeah. I can't show no weakness. But when you just said what you said, when Spurrier say you can play, when Spurrier say good job, good route, yeah. it's different because listen, you had you had Coach D. I had Coach D. My senior year, he went from wide receiver to coach, and if we had man, if they had uh. Reality TV back then, me and Coach D, Coach D is animated. He, yeah. But, but it's almost like it almost makes you a better player to say, look, man, I'm not going to let the team down. But the last thing I want to hear, Steve, Coach Furry said, mm, can't, can't run that route. I can't do this, can't do that. He's, he never yelled, he never screamed. But it's almost like he said, don't say a lot, but say enough to be like, like, Spur, are you good? Like, no. Like we yeah. had one rule when I played. If you stick one hand up for a pass, you better catch it. Like you stick yeah. one hand up. We played Kentucky. I did the dumb thing and sticking one hand up. That was the end of my freshman year. Done. Yeah. Over with. It's a wrap. Jesse Palmer, my freshman year, comes in and says, tells the Gainesville son, I'm gonna lead this team. Coach Burry comes in with the paper, reads it, and says, Give everybody, uh, everybody give Jesse a hand clap. He's an idiot. <laughs> right? And then Rex throws me, and then you know the story goes on. But Coach Bergen knew life. He just didn't, you just didn't know that's what he was giving you. Like, because yeah. because offensive guru, like, you know, did, did, did he do the five minute ten with y'all? Did he come out there take his shirt off for like five oh, yeah. minutes, him and Jamie, and yeah. look at you? But at the same time, though, Chris, you what I like to call PhD in route running. Like, and what was there a certain route that you like more than others? You can get up on that, but there, was there a certain one that you get to say, Hey, man, I'm about, to, I'm about to route this corner back up. Let me go back to what you said first and foremost about Coach Spurrier because you're right. He didn't really yell a bunch, but it was, he used the sarcasm to get to you, right? And, and I tell everybody all the time, the thing you never wanted to hear is, hey, it's not your fault. It's my fault for putting you in there. Oh, yeah. You know, that was oh, the yeah. thing that you didn't want to hear. And so, uh, you know, I always tried to, to please him. But you didn't want to hear that. And you didn't want to hear the pregame speech where he we went around to in the locker room. All right, Benny. All right, Chris. All right, my man. You know, if he hits you with my man, that means he forgot your name, and that wasn't a good thing oh, yeah. either. So that uh, that was what you wanted to avoid. But in terms of, of routes that I loved, man, you know, I, I played a lot. And, and, and one more thing, what you said. 
his his perception was reality, right? So like I, that that sophomore year, my 93 catch the pass against Kentucky. You know, I'm, I catch 12 passes against Mississippi State, three touchdowns in that game. All of a sudden, I look up. I'm leading. I went from walk on. I'm leading the SEC in catches, and I'm like, this is amazing. And then the season goes on. And something happened, and all of a sudden I was phased out of the offense. You know how that went? Like you could be, you could be his guy, everything's rolling, uh-huh. and then I'll do something wrong, and it changes his perception, and, yes. and now all of a sudden you're phased out. So that happened to me in my sophomore year. I got phased out, and in my junior year I got phased out, and finally my senior year I was able to to play wire to wire. Had 70 catches that year for over a thousand yards, but like it really was about him, you know, making sure you didn't do anything that was going to get you in the doghouse. That uh, and when I say doghouse, I'm not talking about breaking rules. It's like you putting one hand up or yeah. or busting a route or some read that you're you're making. Um, but yeah, man, it, it was so much fun. And, and I'll tell you, it was great too, Benny. Like get the chance to not only play at Florida with him, but I tore my Achilles in the NFL when I was playing with the Broncos uh, back in 2000. Uh, tried to come back in 2001. Wasn't quite ready. Uh, so I was out of the league. I thought I was going to have to go play in the arena league. I actually signed with the Carolina Cobras and, and, you know, thinking I was going to have to, to, to get back to the NFL through that path. Fortunately, I was probably one of the only people that was happy about coach Spurrier leaving Florida. Cause I knew going to the NFL, he was going to you know bring me on and he did. And uh, just getting back to that old language again, get back to uh, corkers and steamers and, you know, all the things that we ran and, and how natural that was. And then, you know, teaching everybody else on that, that wide receiver core how to go about running those routes and what we were doing. And a lot of what I did early on was playing in the slot. You know, I love playing that, that kind of stand-up wide position that, that, uh, that you caught so many of the balls of, too. Man, working the, working the, the seams and, and, and cover two posts and corners and, and loved all of that. Um, from the outside, I love the old eight route, the way we ran the corners inside, squ- square them up to 15 and take it to 20, uh, 18 to 22. Like those are some of my favorite routes to run, man. What do you, what do you see that the wide receiver position in the SEC is crazy, right? I mean, everybody wants a Jamar Chase, a Justin Jefferson, yeah. you know, everybody wants an Amari Cooper, a Chris Doring, but everything's spread now. Like y'all, y'all were ahead of y'all time with the offense yeah. that y'all was running, but you got to have. Got to have this. Got to have a personnel. Got to have a quarterback. Y'all had that. Everybody wants that now. Like y'all doing it in the early '90s. But receivers can run. Receivers can separate. But can they start and stop? Like yeah. they have a problem with. Hey man, you straight line. You a four three, but you can't run a dig. Yeah. You can't. You can't even run a, a post corner. God forbid I ask you to run a double move. Mm-hmm. You got to, what do you see the wide receiver position like trend, you know, uh, like happening right now in the SEC with so much fanfare on? Well, you make you make a good point too about how much emphasis is put on speed. And I understand, you know, you you, you want to have guys that can threaten the defensive back, get him out of his back pedal. Um, and, and but at the same time, there's something to be said for your playing speed. Yeah, I feel like I always played fast. I always got a a good jump out the line of scrimmage and and did a good job of of making people think I was faster with my my shoulder lead and arm pump and all those things and being able to, to get in and out of breaks and put your foot in the ground and separate. Um, and you know this, man, like when when you get to the NFL level, you ain't running by too many guys. You know, I no. mean, it, the NFL is about, you know, creating just enough space for you to catch the football, use your body, you know, uh, holding guys off with leverage. Those things are are important. So I, I think I learned a lot of that at Florida that helped me in the NFL. And, and how many guys 
did you remember, Benny, when, when you were coming out, like a, when you were in college and you saw these guys that were these great receivers and, and putting up numbers and all of a sudden they get to the NFL and they play on your team, you're like, this dude doesn't have a clue about how to run a route or how to set somebody up or, you know, how to, how to catch the football. It's, it's amazing. At, at some level, you're eventually going to catch up with the, the, the level of athleticism you have, you know, then it comes down to, to technique and attention to detail. And I think that's something I learned very well from coach Spurrier and from coach Dixon. Uh, as far as the offenses today, man, we, we were ahead of our time. All the spread stuff you're seeing right now goes back to a lot of what we were doing in the early nineties, what he was doing back at Duke in the late eighties. And so, you know, uh, 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 being able to to see his impact on not only college football, but NFL football, high school football in general, what he did with the passing game. I would love like it, my NFL career was I, I played nine years in the league, but my catches, the catch total was limited. Didn't get a chance to play a ton because I would play on third downs and I play in two minute situations. Now in the NFL, they're going three and four wide receivers on first and second downs. Like I'd love to play in the league today because. The proliferation of the passing game, the opportunity to be out there on the field more. Um, so I, I think I would have done really well in the way that the the game's played today. Um, I think you're seeing a lot of guys come into college football now, much more experienced because of uh, how how many people, are, uh, how many teams are throwing the ball in high school, the seven on seven stuff. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of seven on seven, but I do think it's helped the development of of some of the receivers and the passing game in general. Uh, but I, I it, this is a fun. I, I love getting to cover this league and, and getting to watch all the great receivers that have come through here uh, over the last few years. You mentioned, you know, the record that I held. I, I had that that SEC touchdown record for 25 years. And then Devontae Smith, Devontae Smith comes through and and just completely urinates all over that <laughs> record, man, just uh, blew it away. So it's it's uh it's been fun to watch all of these different guys and and how you know the passing game in in the league when I was a kid uh and even right until coach Burrier got to the SEC it was 3 yards in a cloud of dust everybody was running the footballs about having the Bo Jackson Herschel Walkers in, in your backfield and now it's it's about having a that quarterback and having guys that can go get it in the uh in the passing game the voice you hear right now is Chris Doyne, second team All-American, first team All-SEC, University of Florida Athletic Hall of Fame, Florida Georgia Game Hall of Fame, tied for second all-time in the SEC, 31 career touchdowns, tied with Amari Cooper, second to Devonta Smith. I think he got like 100 of them. I, yeah. I, I lost count. But you talk about covering the SEC. How, how, how exciting is that? Because you all around the SEC from the stadiums to the coaches to the coaches. What is it about the SEC? Because you, as a player, it's different when you're behind the camera now. But yeah. how, how crazy is it, um, you know, going around the SEC, seeing all these, the hottie toddies Yeah, in Arkansas this week? How, how was it yeah. been? Well, first and foremost, you know, I, 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 when I got done playing, man, I just I wanted to stay involved in football. And you remember leaving the NFL facilities at 5 or 5.30 or whenever we were getting out of there, the coaches were just getting their their dinner and getting ready to have a whole another eight hours or more of work. So the idea of, of getting into coaching and never seeing my family and having that unsettled life of moving all over just didn't appeal to me. Uh, so getting into the, the, the world of, of media and TV specifically was kind of the next best thing. And I, I really um, have been so grateful to not only have the chance to do what I do at ESPN and the SEC Network, but to do it covering the conference that I know the most about, that I'm the most passionate about. You know, I, I, I lived this conference as a kid growing up in that stadium, watching not only the Florida guys, but so many of the great iconic SEC players during the, the 80s and early 90s. And, 
and then you know playing in this league and now covering it i just i think um it's it's a dream come true to get to do what i do not only for uh the sec network but with sirius xm covering the sec as well and and uh you mentioned it going around there's so many great traditions and i think the thing that i've i've realized as much as i've uh you know born and bred gator orange and blue I still, you know, you go, you go to Georgia or you go to Tennessee and they got great traditions there. They're just different traditions. They're different colors. They got great people there. And so I, I still cheer for Florida as hard as I possibly can. Uh, but I, I love getting a chance to go around and learn so much more about all of these different traditions and the guys that have played there before. And, and the guys that are there now, it's just, a, it's a, uh, who's who of coaches in this conference. And, and, um, you know, all eyes are on the SEC every single Saturday during the fall, and I'm, I'm so grateful to get a chance to cover it the way I do. Obviously, uh, Chris, we're in the NIL era. I mean, it's only growing every single day, nothing specific, but what do you what do, what do you see NIL, like, impacting the SEC or college football as a whole? Because, one, I do think it's a good thing, but it's just like when we go to the NFL. People assume Chris Dorg is in the NFL. He's making a bunch of money. Chris Dorg is 21, 22 years old. I don't know about money. I, yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. But I don't know about financial literacy. I don't know about 33% tax bracket. But that's when you're a professional. Now, I'm 18 years old, 19 years old, sometimes 17 years old. Where do you see the future of NIL? And do you think it's a good or bad thing? Well, there's a couple sides to it. You know, first and foremost, I do think that players should be entitled to making money off of their name, their image, and their likeness. The opportunity to sell jerseys with their number and name on it. The opportunity to be on video games with your number and name on it. Uh, the opportunity to go sign autographs somewhere. The chance to do commercials for, you know, a, a local car dealership. Those things, I think, were the intention of, of NIL. Um, NIL should not and is not allowed to be used as a recruiting inducement. It's not pay for play. And that's what it's become because the NCAA refuses to try to enforce what the rules are. Uh, everybody knows what's going on and everybody acts like, you know, nothing's happened. And, and I think that's an absolute joke. The fact that, you know, the, the Jaden Rashada thing was incredibly embarrassing to me. I'm sure it probably was embarrassing to you as a Florida guy. Um, you know, it, the fact that we were going to pay a high school senior that never played a single down of college football over 13 million guys like Danny Warfel, Shane Matthews, Emmett Smith, all of these folks that deserve to make that kind of money as a Florida Gator didn't have that chance. And, and here's a kid that hadn't even put a uniform on yet. That was going to get a $500,000 payout in December. Um, you know, I, I don't blame the kid because he was doing, you know, what he could to get his money, but um, the system is, is definitely broken and it's unsustainable and they have to find a way uh, to start creating a little bit of uh, balance. Uh, the, the, the fact that, that there are some schools that are committing to NIL the way that they have and others that, that don't have the means to do so, uh, it's going to create an even bigger disparity that, than the one that already exists. And so I, I do think there needs to be somebody take the lead, whether that's you know the, the Power Five conferences breaking off and, and creating their own deal, um, but somebody's got to take over and keep this, uh, this this train on the tracks or else it's going to get far beyond uh, repair. You, met, you mentioned, you mentioned, uh, you know, guys like Danny Warfel, like Emmitt Smith, uh, Lomas, you know, guys like Lomas yeah. Brown, uh, Mike Peterson, just Fred Taylor. The thing about NIL that I don't understand is this. I think it should have something to do with, not me, I don't care about me, but guys who contributed so much, like Tim Tebow don't need nobody's money. 
I get it. But you still utilizing these people's names, their images, their likeness, their celebrity. How can NIL go that far to where you saying, hey, man, deal with grown men whose contribution is, yeah, they, they, they are legends of the game, but you can do something. Oh, and, and it might not be nothing monetary, but look, when I think of college football, when I think of the SEC, and this is, I don't care who, and yes, I'm biased. You can't play the quarterback position better than, better than Danny Warfield. Mm-hmm. I love Tim Tebow, but you can't. You just can't. You can't, uh, you know, affect the game, uh, you know, like a wig, like a, like a Marshall or, or a Fred. Tate. You just can't. And what happens is, we give the players money based off of what they could become. But that's anybody. Yeah, he could become this. He could become that. I hope NIL does some type of legend for the game. Listen, I don't need anything. People being, I don't care. I'm just saying. Yeah. Do you see NIL being able to advance like that? Well, I think there should be something. We've tried to do this in the past for some sort of fund to take care of, of former Gators that maybe have, have um, not been able to, to take care of themselves or have some medical issues that are arise. Like, a, I, I still think, you know, it's, it's crazy. When I left the NFL, you know, we were covered by health insurance for five years after our last season. Like, most of the health things aren't going to show up in five years. And I know they've changed the way that they go about, you know, providing – healthcare for, for players longer. But what about college players? What about these guys that played in the 80s and the 90s that don't never made it to the NFL that have health issues that are starting to, to raise their heads now as they get a little bit older? I think there's something needs to be done for those folks. I, I'm with you. Like, I, I don't necessarily need anything monetary from from what's going on now, but there I think there are other people that do. And, and I'll go back to this. Like, as much as I do think that there is a place for players to receive something uh, for being a part of, of um, building the program and, 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 you know, people buying jerseys and autographs and all that stuff. And I made more money outside of, after my football career in the NFL, you know, the, the, the university of Florida, the degree, the diploma on my wall in my office, the opportunity to play football and develop my skills and put up those things gave me a launching pad that created more opportunity for me than, than any of the money that I ever made in the NFL. What I do on television, what I do with my mortgage company that just is about to celebrate its 16th year, what I get a chance to do on radio, all of those things came because I got a journalism degree at, at, at the University of Florida and, and, and met people and, and made connections and, and got my name out there because I played football. So this idea that a scholarship and a degree doesn't mean anything uh, doesn't sit well with me, especially as a guy that walked on and knew the cost of attendance and 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 having that paid for by my family. And so I I, I just uh, I still think that there is something that needs to be said for that chance to go to college for that that kid that nobody in his family has ever gone before. Now all of a sudden he gets a chance to go to college and get a degree and what that can do. Uh, we still need to recognize the importance of of that aspect of college football too. Jim McElwain, Dan Mullen. Billy Napier, you cover the SEC. Obviously, we biased when it comes to them Gators. How hard is it to build a program like like Florida? Like you, I mean, you don't lack anything. Eighty-five million dollar facility, uh, a seven point one million dollar coach. Not that I'm not that I'm counting this money or anything. The best of everything, right? What top ten recruiting class? Yeah. But what does it take in your mind, crew? What is the difference in having a fi- having a five star caliber roster? But having that having that product on the field, that consistent product on the field year in and year out. You, you know, it's funny. I, I heard this today from Coach Spurrier. I was with him, and he said I, he was listening to Paul Feinbaum, and they were talking about the projections of um, – I think it was 
total draftable guys this year, guys that were expected to go in the in the in the seven round draft. That in the SEC, it was Alabama and Georgia, and the third most the team with the third most expected draft picks was Florida. Like we talk about this team, you know, not having talent, but according to the NFL, as the the draft experts go, there's a, a lot of talent. So. I, I think it goes back to one thing, Ben, and that that's the quarterback position. Like the reason Florida struggled for as long as they did, they couldn't find that quarterback after Tim Tebow left after 2009, go through that whole litany of quarterbacks that, that played at Florida. The only one that ever really took Florida anywhere was a guy that probably wouldn't have got in there. If Felipe Franks hadn't got hurt. I mean, Kyle Trask was on the bench and, and Kyle Trask turned out to be a guy that elevated Florida back to the sec championship game. As much as I hate to say it, and give quarterbacks credit, the quarterback position is the most important position in all of team sports. And if you don't have that guy as your trigger man, you're, you're going to be limited in what you're able to do. And Florida just hasn't been able to find the right guy in that period of time since Tebow left to be able to have that 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 consistent, high-level uh, achieving type of, of season that uh, we got used to in the 90s when you went from Shane Matthews to Danny Warfel to you know, to to Jesse, to Doug, to to Rex. I mean, the, with just so many great quarterbacks, and Florida just hadn't been able to find that right guy and develop him. They they had him at times, right? Jeff Driscoll played in the NFL for a long time, uh, didn't work out here. Jacoby uh, Brissett play, still plays in the NFL now, yeah. didn't get his opportunity, didn't get developed. Like you have to find that guy, you have to develop him, you have to put him in a position to be successful. Billy Napier going into year two. You know, listen, whatever happened in year one, it, it happened. I mean, the, the the talent and the the overall record didn't kind of coincide with each other. But the pressures of a head coach in the SEC, Billy Napier in particular, what what are the things that we don't we don't? I mean, I do it, but we don't take into context of the fact that look, we know that he's making a bunch of money. He's at Florida, but that don't mean you're going to just go out there and dominate in the SEC East. That's right now them boys from Athens. They the gold standard, yeah. not just in the East, but in, in college football. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's gotten tough. Uh, sledding's gotten tougher, right? You know, not only is, is Georgia kind of raised the the bar in the conference and college football in general, Tennessee all of a sudden comes out of nowhere and has a, a double digit win season. Uh, Kentucky, a team that used to be the laughing stock of the SEC, now has asserted themselves in the last couple of years. And what I, I think they're three and two against Florida in the last yeah. five games. So I, I mean, it, it's gotten more difficult. Um, clearly Florida has to upgrade their talent. I mentioned the quarterback position, but there's a lot of other uh, positions that need to have uh, upgrade, uh, particularly the defensive line. I, I honestly believe you, you look at Florida's defensive struggles over the last couple of years is because they haven't had those dudes. We used to forever had those dudes on the defensive line. Yeah. You know, you, you go back to my, my time there, Kevin Carter, Ellis Johnson, Mark Campbell, like so many of those guys, you, you move on big money, Gerard Warren, like, I Alex mean, just, Brown. Yeah. yeah, Alex Brown, you look at, at, at uh, what, what happened uh, later on when, when they were able to get uh, Dominic Easley and, and some of those plays, like Florida has always been able to develop defensive linemen, recruiting defensive linemen, you know, this, there's only a limited number of guys that are that big and that athletic, right? You can't have the two often. And so Florida has a bunch of them in the state. But unfortunately, the best talent in Florida, not only at that position, but at all positions, now goes to Georgia, Alabama, Clemson. Florida's got to find a way to keep that talent within the state. Florida State and Miami are dealing with the same issue, and that's why you're seeing all three programs mired in, me in mediocrity. Chris, man, before I let you out, and we were talking about the quarterback position a lot today, Anthony Richardson. Some people say he's not going to make it out of the top ten. 
Some people say he might go number one overall. But when you think about what the quarterback position is in the NFL now, now I need a guy that can do both. I need a guy that can throw. I need a guy that can run. I need a guy that can be extension of the, of the running game. I need a guy that can improvise. Six four, what? He's going to be about 230, 235. I don't know what he's going to run. He's going to be fast. You are a GM, and y'all picking Anthony Richardson. What are you getting in a player like that? Here's what you're doing. If you're the GM that picks him in the top 10, you're putting your career on the line. You're you're riding and dying with this one guy, right? And I understand the fascination. There's nothing that tantalizes NFL scouts, coaches, GMs like uh, like talent, like measurables. And, and Anthony Richardson is going to have all of those. And I know a lot of Gator fans like, oh, he needs to come back and stay and develop. He hadn't played a lot of quarterback. They're right. He hadn't had a ton of reps. He is very uh, green still. He needs more reps. But when you can come out and be a first-round pick or a top-ten pick or the number-one overall pick, there is no reason to come back. So I don't have anything negative to say about his decision to go. I think he's making the right the right decision. The, the team that drafts him has to understand that this is a developmental project. This is not a, a plug-and-play guy right out of the, the gates. I think you could take a guy like Bryce Young and, and do that, but I don't think you can do that with Anthony Richardson. Here, here's what scares me about Anthony. And I love the guy. He's a Gator. He's a Gainesville boy. Uh, you know, I, I, I've followed him for a long time. I'm cheering for him. But the things that concern me, the inexperience is something that, that teams are going to live with. But the injury, uh, he, he's had a lot of injuries over the years. And you know guys that have that sort of fast twitch muscle, like how easily those things can get pulled or torn. I worry about his ability to stay in the lineup, to be able to take hits. Um, and the other thing is, is his ability to lead. And when things go wrong, get himself back on track. I go back to that Kentucky game. He struggled right out of the gate, got hit early, made some mistakes, and never could quite get things going. And at one point in the season, he had thrown more interception, more touchdowns to the other team than he had his own team. And he was talking about how that affected him. Like, I don't care. One, you got to be able to turn the page. But two, if it really does bother you, don't say it in front of the media. Don't say it to anybody. Keep that inside of yourself. And so he's got to figure out a way to be able to, to turn the page when something bad goes wrong or when something wrong goes, uh, you got to be able to move on from that. And I think he's got to find a way to, to really get his teammates to rally around him. Um, he's best when he's involved in the run game. And that's what puzzled yeah. me the most about Florida's season this year. When he was involved in the run game, in the Utah game, in the Tennessee game, I thought that was a great game plan, the way they used him on some of the, the, the zone read stuff, the, the, the options the uh, bootlegs and nakeds. I mean, he puts pressure on an opposing defense when he's outside of the pocket. Asking him to stay in the pocket, be a pocket guy, takes away everything that he does well. So you got to be willing to, to move him around. You got to be willing to move to run him and uh, and understand that uh, he, he's got to find a way to make sure he's getting down and not taking hits. I think he's got a lot of potential, but there's got to be a lot of development and being in the right spot with the right coaches that are patient and helping him to get to where he has the potential to get. All right, Chris, man, before I let you out of here, man, your favorite Coach Furrier moment or your favorite Coach Furrier story? Ooh, man, so many of them, man. I just uh, – no, the, 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 one, the one he wouldn't mind you telling us. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, well, I'll say this, though. Uh, uh, is this a, a family-friendly podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. You can listen. You can, yes, uh, yes, sir. You, can, well, well, you, you remember – How are you feeling? You remember that my favorite thing was, like, uh, beginning of, of – of camp every year he'd write shit damn and hell like those were the three cuss words you could say there was you weren't allowed to say the f word right but yeah 
as soon as something went wrong in the game, there was some some mfing going on on the sidelines, you know. So it was uh, that, that was our list. That wasn't his list. That that was for us. Yeah, we yeah, that's true. But and I remember again, I'll 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 push the limits here a little bit. We're playing in in uh, in South Carolina, my senior year, '95. We're down, get close to the red zone. Um, we call a timeout. I'm all hyped up. I'm like, coach. Throw me the fade. I got a fucking five foot guy covering me. And he looks at me and he goes, oh, Chris, we don't need that. Like in the middle of the whole thing, he's correcting me for using the F word out there. So it's uh, it's something that that he is still to this day. You, you won't catch him saying unless he's in the midst of calling plays on the sideline and something doesn't go his way. Chris, man, first and foremost, I appreciate you taking the time. I mean, 30. It's funny, right? When Devonta Smith broke your record, right? And they say, oh, he just broke uh, Chris Dorn's record. My mom goes. You know, my mom didn't know my mom was a football historian. I wasn't good in high school. My mom goes, Chris Dorn from Florida. She said, I remember. I said, she said, I used to watch him. She said, he's real tall. He's real tall and lanky. She said, he scored a lot of touchdowns. I said, well, my, she, um, and then my mom was going to say, does Chris Dorn have a son? Because we need some guys to get back. You know, my mom talk trash about Florida all the time. But I remember this way. I want to say it's 2011 or 12. I'm trying to get into this media thing. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I remember calling you. I, I'm gonna call Chris Dorn. I'm gonna get, I don't know if you. I don't know if SEC Network was coming. I think he was already doing something. And I asked you. I said, "Man, you think I can do?" He's like, "Yeah, then you'll be good." It's almost like no matter what, we need each other for validation. If we don't act like we don't, if we don't walk yeah. around like, no, I said Chris Dorn's doing it. I'm gonna call Chris. Yeah. Chris came on, and and what happens is though, you also let me know you can be yourself. Like, when I see you on TV, I say, that's Chris, man. Like, I don't know if your producer say, Chris, we need you. This is what I do, bro. Uh-uh-uh. Get somebody else to do the skits. And I will say this, Chris. You you, you pay up your bets, man. You lose a bet. I, listen, I, listen, if the show comes on, I'm like, where Chris at? He's over there. Chris done lost a bet. Yeah, four years in a row. Four years in a row, I've lost that LSU bet to Peter Burns. And so I'm hoping that someday Florida actually wins and, and yes. he has to pay up there. But this you're right, though. I'll say this, man. Like, obviously, Gators are going to stick together, man. You know, to, to get a call from you asking about, you know, some of the, the, the things that you were interested in in the media world, it's a pleasure for me to talk to you about that. Uh, Patrick Young's a guy that I connected with before he started working at the SEC Network when he was going for his audition. I'm so proud of of not only what he's done with his broadcasting career, but how he's impacted so many people, turning that negative into a positive and, and just a, a great representative of the University of Florida. Um, but I think about guys that helped me. You know, Todd Blackledge is the guy that that gave me his number early on, and I would call him and ask him about how he prepared and and, and the things that he does to to help, you know, get himself ready to go. I, I I think about what you just said about being myself. Like for so long, I tried to act on air like what I had seen other people doing and authenticity. People know authenticity, right? You have to find a way to be who you are on television the same way that you are off air minus the cussing. So I, I, I think I've done better with that as, as I've gotten more reps. Um, and then I look at still like, you know, I, I, I was on and this was last uh, two SEC media days ago. I'm up there doing my thing with PB on, on, on set. When I get off, I check Twitter. I got a message from Kirk Herbstreit. Kirk Herbstreit's the gold standard of broadcasting and telling me how much he, he likes what I do and encouraging me. And like, so I think there's always people that we all look up to that we owe it to, to, you know, as, as, as people help us, we help other people. And uh, it, it's a great business for us, former athletes to be able to get into 
and stay involved with football and get that same adrenaline rush. Like nothing gets me going like catching a touchdown in front of 100,000 people. And you don't get that opportunity much in life after your career is over with. But being on live television on Saturday night, you know, and, and talking about SEC football, man, is the next best thing. And it gives me that adrenaline rush that I crave so much.